0: pray. Father, we do come before you and thank you so much for this opportunity you've given us today to set aside our cares, our thoughts, to set aside the thoughts of ourselves and the things in our lives, to come and worship you, to come and sing your praises, to come and declare your excellencies. Lord, I do pray that we would continue to do so in our hearts as we hear your word, that you would work in our hearts that which is pleasing to you. Now, as we open up your word and look into it, I pray that you would grant us wisdom and insight into what you intended and that we would be responsive, that we would not be self-deceived and allow sin to blind our eyes and harden our hearts from what you're trying to tell us. May we be clean before you and receive your word implanted. So we thank you for this time and commit it to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sure you have realized that following Jesus in this world is not always easy. That there are sufferings, that there are difficulties, that there are persecutions, that there are trials. Certainly we have difficulties and trials that are related to just the fact we live in a sin-cursed world. And there are sinners around us, including ourselves. That certainly uh, lends to that. Everyone, believer and non-believer, experiences that. But when you come to Jesus Christ and you desire to do his will, you desire to follow him, you do the right thing, you're going to be, as Jesus would say, persecuted. He said, a slave is not greater than his master. You're going to be maybe misunderstood, persecuted, slandered, whatever it might be. We know that uh, following Jesus, uh, within that, there is difficulty. Jesus said, In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart or take courage. I have overcome the world. Well, within our suffering for Jesus, we should be those who are rejoicing and happy, right? Well, that's not always the case. The reality is we're human beings, we're sinful. We have emotions, and when difficulties come, we can struggle. And we do struggle. And yet, we can have joy in the midst of suffering. We can have joy in the midst of suffering. And today, we're going to take a look at the Apostle Paul's words from Philippians chapter 1 we're going to learn by his response to suffering. So would you turn your Bibles to Philippians 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 19 to 21. This is part of a larger section, so we're just picking it out. So I'll read through later on the entire passage, uh, so keep that in mind. But it, it's a passage in which we have a wonderful verse that is a, a life verse of many. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And that's a wonderful verse to have as a life verse, but so often we don't know that verse in its context. When Paul said that, what was going on? Why did he say that? And we're going to see that today. We're going to see it at the beginning of why he said that. So with this in mind, again, in Philippians chapter 1, I want to share the context of this book. The Apostle Paul, uh, we see in Acts 16, the founding of the Philippian church, 52 A.D., about 20 years after Pentecost, the Apostle Paul has obediently been led to Philippi. He has shared Christ with Lydia at the river. He has uh, been suffer- he has suffered and been beaten and thrown in jail, but praising and singing hymns of praise to God and praying, and God delivered him. And from that, the Philippian jailer's heart was pierced. What must I do to be saved? And Paul declares, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then he shares the word with him and his household and they are saved. And you have the nucleus of a church, the Philippian church. And within that, we see that the Philippian church and Paul—ten years now have gone by. They're very close. They were the only church later on. We see in chapter four to support Paul at certain times. They cared for the apostle Paul. Uh, they didn't doubt his authority. In the beginning of the book, he doesn't have to say the apostle Paul. He—he's—he's he's clearly making it clear. He's—he's he's one. He's a bond servant of Christ, and 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 writing to the saints who were in Philippi. The reality is they loved him and he loved them. And they were very concerned about him because he was in jail. Uh, he was under house arrest in Rome and they were concerned. They had sent Epaphroditus to tend to his needs and to send a message to him. And, and he had come back and almost died and they were concerned about that. We'll see that later on in chapter 2. But they were close to him. They were close to him. Now within this, we see in the beginning, and I hope you were encouraged if you've been with us so far, that we saw the Apostle Paul was caused to rejoice in his heart. Every time he thought of the Philippians, do you have believers in your life when you think about them, it causes you to have joy? i tell you, that's true for me. Sometimes I don't have joy as a shepherd. I think of people and I go, oh, Lord, this is a burden. Help me to see them rightly. Help me to help them. And other people, I think, wow, praise you, Lord God. They're following you. They're a blessing. Or even if they're struggling, they want to do the right thing. They're people who are humble before you, and I'm thankful for that. And the Apostle Paul was thankful for these Philippians. He was thankful for God's past work in them. And he was confident that God would complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He was confident. And he prayed for them that their love in Christ would superabound in real knowledge and all discernment. That they would be able thus by the Spirit of God to make right choices which would glorify God. Tremendous, wonderful uh, prayer. And then last week we saw the Apostle Paul began his actual correspondence in this letter to this beloved Philippian church, in which we're going to review in a moment. So with that in mind, let's take a look at our passage, and I'm going to reread what we had read earlier, but I'm going to reread this from verses 12 through our passage, because it is really one part of the whole section we're looking at, and although we looked at 12 through 18 last week, we're going to review that just briefly before we get to our passage. So let's start again back in verse 12 of chapter 1 of Philippians. Now I want you to know, my brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment for the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking, to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. And this, and in this I rejoice, and I will rejoice. And now we have our passage. For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest earnest, ex, earnest, expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ shall even now and as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain." Again, a tremendous passage, and it continues on, and we'll, we'll look next time. We're just going to hit that portion in 21 a little bit today, and we'll continue on next week to see the rest of the context of that. But but as we look at it, we need to recognize, again, that we as believers, when we follow Jesus Christ, we're going to suffer at times. We're going to suffer for doing the right thing. We're going to suffer for, 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 for making the right choices. Maybe only the Lord knows in that context we're going to be misunderstood, whatever it might be. And, and again, a servant is not greater than his master. We see what happened to our Lord Jesus Christ to the point at the end where, where he was crucified for obeying the, the, the God's predetermined plan to be delivered up and to die for our sins. So how can we have true joy in the midst of suffering? How can you be joyful when things are not going good? How could you be joyful if you were imprisoned for the cause of Christ? How could one be joyful in that situation i'm not saying we don't have sorrows we do have sorrows but christians are the only ones who can have sorrows and be weeping over things and also be rejoicing in the lord how can that happen well today we're going to learn from paul's response to suffering and how we can have thus true joy in the midst of suffering now we need to remember what we saw last week and we to look at this first that that We need to recognize suffering is a platform that God will use for the gospel. If we understand that, we can rejoice. If we understand that God uses our difficulties as a platform to share Christ, then we can have joy in what's going on in our lives. Because I know something fantastic is coming from it. What God is doing through it. I can recognize that maybe those who meant it for evil, God meant it for good. And i got to see it and think rightly. And it it changes my mindset towards that. And I I then rejoice. Remember what we saw. The Apostle Paul was chained to a Roman guard 24-7. You can hear the CD from last week. I'll just kind of skip over it quickly. But uh, it was because of his obedience to Christ to the gospel sharing the gospel verse 12 now i want you to know brethren he's speaking to believers saints that is that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress or pioneering progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment for the cause of for the cause of christ i going to talk about what happens with that but he's been imprisoned for the cause of christ the apostle paul is in chains because he has been proclaiming Christ. And he is in chains for that. And if you remember, we saw last week that quite possibly the Philippians who loved him dearly were concerned about him. Concerned about his situation. So much so they had sent Epaphras to minister to his needs. And to send a message, Epaphroditus, excuse me, to minister to his needs. They were concerned. And certainly you can think about what we might think in a situation like that. Has the ministry of what Paul is doing, is it ceased now? Is, is it on hold because he's in jail? It, what's, is, is the gospel going out anymore? It seems like this is not a good thing that's happening to Paul. And the apostle Paul wants to share how his difficult circumstances have brought about amazing, wonderful results. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. This is quite an amazing statement. The Roman Empire was the empire of the world, of the known world at this time. And Paul is in Rome, and the Praetorian Guard were the emperor's personal elite bodyguards. There were several thousands of them, and they were stationed at his royal residences. And as we're going to see, the Apostle Paul was certainly close to Caesar's household because there were those in Caesar's household who came to faith, by the way. It's an amazing statement. Paul's chains have brought about the knowledge of Christ throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. Obviously, he's been sharing Christ, having been chained to these soldiers, and the word is getting around. Why are you, uh, been Why have you been arrested, little Jewish man? And uh, well, let me tell you about that. Let me tell you about Jesus, right? And I'm sure he shared, and we know he did because people came to faith. They came to faith. And so within that, we see that there were many, and the whole Praetorian Guard had heard of Christ. And then he says even here, everyone else. Now that's possibly relating to Caesar's household, because in chapter 4, he says in 4.22, all the saints greet you, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. What a tremendous reality. There were those in the household of Caesar who came to faith in Jesus Christ, So Paul's chains, what one might think is is hindering the ministry, that one might even say, as we might see later on, that wow, Paul must have sinned because he's in chains. Well, is it really hindering the ministry? Not at all. God has used it for this pioneering advance of what? The gospel, the gospel. And what is the gospel? It's the good news. It's the good news that Jesus Christ, that God the Son, the Messiah King took on human flesh and that he died for our sins. We are sinners and that he was buried and he rose from the dead. And whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We are sinners in need of a savior. You don't want to die in your sins. If you die in your sins, you will pay the penalty for your own sins forever in punishment. But Jesus Christ died for us, burying our sins in his body. And he rose from the dead. His, his death was accepted by the Father. And he paid the full price. And if you're willing to humble yourself and turn and believe in God, who became a human being and died for your sins and rose from the dead, you will be saved. And there were many in Rome who had come to faith because Paul was preaching the gospel. But he was suffering but his suffering turned out for good because he had the right perspective. He wasn't there saying, oh, this is terrible. Uh, He wasn't. He was obviously, as we saw back with the Philippians, praising the Lord and sharing the gospel. So first of all, we need to recognize that God uses things in our lives as a platform for us to give the reason why we have hope to give the reason why we hope to share the truth of Christ, if you're following Christ, if he is your life. If he is your life. And so we've got to renew our minds in everything that goes wrong, even to the point of imprisonment, which is pretty bad, by the way. I don't think any one of you are imprisoned right now. But yet, maybe you've been imprisoned by uh, difficulty, something that God has allowed to come upon you, by, by someone sinning against you, whatever it might be. You are chained to these things, some type of a physical issue, whatever it might be. You're imprisoned by it, but God is not one that will not use it. He is one who will use it for his glory. If you're willing to see it rightly, if you're willing to see it rightly, if you see it wrongly, as we do, confess and renew your mind, and renew your mind. And then last week we saw not only were Caesar's household saved, there was a tremendous outpouring of of confidence within believers to share Christ also Look at verse 14. And most of the brethren trusting in the Lord, we saw last week, that really is not the word usually translated for faith or trusting, it's a different word. Most of the Lord, most of the brethren persuaded, in a sense, uh, to, to, in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more encouragement to speak the word of God without fear. To speak God's word. They've been, they've been encouraged. They have encouragement now there to speak God's word fearlessly. They see what God has done in Paul's life and the tremendous results of the gospel and they have far more courage now to speak without fear. And indeed, we are a fearful people, aren't we? We, we, we think about the need for Christ to be shared and we say, have a crusade, right? We want someone else to do it, right? because we don't want to go at times and speak to those around us the truth of christ because we're afraid of how they might respond but yet when we see what god does through these things and what he does when he is in charge when he is doing things it gives us courage to speak the word of god fearlessly when he opens those doors tremendous wonderful results and even paul could rejoice there were some who were trying to cause difficulty for him in his imprisonment some believers had wrong motives and they were trying to hurt paul we're going to see that look at verse 5 15 some to be sure were are preaching christ even even from and it's kind of the exception even from envy and strife envy oh paul's they envy him never envy people in ministry by the way it's deadly Don't do that. Don't envy pastors. I wish I could preach like him for the wrong reasons. No, I wish God would be glorified with the gifts he's given me, right? We're all different parts, you know, hands, eyes, you know, thumbs, toes, right? God has deemed what he desires for each person. Don't be envious. And it just causes strife. We saw that word meant rivalry. Rivalry. There was competition. So they were. These people were were doing that out of that. But some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love. They, 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 they love the Lord and they love Paul, knowing, he says, that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Hey, they know the real reason why I'm in prison. They're not saying I'm in here because of sin. They know I've been appointed for the defense of the gospel. And that's what's going to happen before Caesar, by the way. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, rather from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Wow, not good, right? But notice what Paul says. Now remember, they were not preaching a false gospel. They were preaching a right gospel or Paul would have condemned them immediately like he did in Galatians and other passages or like he does even in Philippians chapter 3. This was a correct gospel. It was right. It was right. And so Paul says, what then, verse 18, only that in every way, whether in pretense, that means uh, a false facade of why you're doing something, by the way, uh, or in truth. He says, christ is proclaimed and christ is preached right and then he says in this i rejoice yes i will rejoice you see when you see what christ is doing in the midst of difficulty it brings joy if christ is most important to you when those whom you love are 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 benefiting right we, we, we want to see that, right? We want to see those who we love benefit, right? When Christ whom we loved is being glorified, that should cause you joy. But it won't cause you joy if it's all about me, myself, and I because Christ isn't anywhere nearby, right? But when Christ is being glorified because of even the difficult things that come in your life, then we have joy. And the Lord is gracious. He knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. He is mindful that we struggle he is mindful that we are tempted and he is gracious turn to him if you are struggling Turn to him if you have the wrong viewpoints and confess that and he will strengthen you he will establish you he will build you up he will encourage you and you will have joy in the midst of the difficulties that you have because christ will open the doors for his word okay so how can we have joy in the midst of suffering As we have seen, God uses suffering as a platform for the gospel and the fearless speaking of Christ. Now secondly, we get into our passage today where we're going to see that when we know that God is magnified in our suffering, we will have joy. When we know God, the person of Jesus Christ, is exalted in our suffering, we will have joy. When he is magnified, we're going to see later on, the term means to make large, you see, we want to make ourselves large, right? It's all about us in our minds. But he wants to be magnified, not only in our hearts, but but throughout his creation, as we're going to see. So notice what Paul says, verse 19. For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance, that through, through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I shall not be put to shame in anything but that with all boldness Christ shall even now and always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So then Paul rejoiced first of all in the primary and the the, the, the the tremendous progress of the gospel through his chains and, and the, the empowerment of others to speak fearlessly and bold the word of God, even those who did it with the wrong motives. He rejoiced in that. And then look at here. He's going to explain something. Notice what he says here in verse nineteen. He says, For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance. For I know Now this for is referring back to what he has just said. He's explaining what he has just said. He is referring back to what he has just mentioned. He's been talking about the fact that he is rejoicing in the context of what God is doing in his sufferings. He's rejoicing. In this, I rejoice. In this. So he says, for I know, I know something that this shall turn out for my deliverance this shall turn out for my deliverance he knows something and in greek the tense is something where he's known it already and he still knows it it is solidified in his mind he's known it and he knows it now and he knows it now well what does he know he says that this shall turn out for my deliverance now what is he talking about There are two questions that arise from this that will help us understand this passage. First of all, what does the this that Paul knows refer to? I know that this will turn out. What is this this, right? And then secondly, what does he mean by the term deliverance? Deliverance. Well, I believe, first of all, the term this probably refers to the circumstances surrounding his imprisonment that he rejoices about. I know that this, what has happened to me, and the results will turn out for my deliverance. Those things I rejoice in, this will turn out for my deliverance. Well, you might say, what do you mean by his deliverance? What does he mean by that? The, the Greek word deliverance here is uh, soteria. We usually translate it often salvation. It could speak of uh, uh, release or rescue. You know, think of salvation. We're, we're, we're delivered from our sins, right? That's what salvation is. We were saved from our sins. So what is Paul saying? Is he saying, I know that what has happened through the gospel going out that I rejoice about is going to turn out for me being set free from my chains? Is that what he's saying? I don't think that's what he's saying. I don't think he's speaking of deliverance from his chains because later on he's going to say whether in life or death. He's going to go before Caesar and he's going to present the case of Christ. And he realizes he may die or he may live. He does not know. Now, he has an inkling, we'll see later on, that he's going to be able to serve and minister to the Philippians. But he says, whether in life or whether in death. So I don't believe he thinks he absolutely knows that this will turn out for his deliverance from his chains. He doesn't know that absolutely. But he does know something will turn out absolutely for his deliverance. And the question is, from what? The question is, what is he being delivered From? Well, it's interesting, this portion is a word-for-word quote from the Old Testament translation, Greek Old Testament translation, the Septuagint of Job chapter 13. It's a word-for-word quote that that the Apostle Paul shares. And and when Paul quotes Scripture word-for-word, certainly it's not in its Old Testament context. We've got to remember that. It's the Spirit of God using it in a New Testament context, but it, it does come from that. And so why would the Apostle Paul at this point say, These things will turn out, I know it for sure, for my deliverance. Why would the gospel going out in his imprisonment that he rejoices about, and as we'll see, Christ being magnified, turn out for his deliverance? And what is he being delivered from? Well, if you'll remember the story of Job, God had allowed Satan to to cause Job to suffer immensely, immensely. You've heard of the suffering of Job, right? Immense suffering, and during that suffering, Job had some friends to come by, and we're going to comfort him, okay? And within that, these friends basically started to say to Job, you're suffering because of your sin. You're in this circumstance, Job, because you sinned. Now, Job rightfully understood that was wrong. Now, later on, he's going to get a little mess with the Lord because he wants to, you know, have God prove, he wants to prove God wrong in that sense, and he has to repent, But uh, what happens here is this part is true. He's been falsely accused. We know that uh, Job says to, or one of his friends says, this is uh, Zophar, he accused him in Job chapter 11 verse 2 of being a talker who could not expect to be acquitted. No way you're going to be let off. You're guilty, Job. It's obvious you are a guilty man. God is uh, punishing you for your sin. That's why this is happening, Job. That's why you're you're suffering physically. That's why you lost your family. That's why all this is happening, Job. And the same friend also wrongly accused him uh, because of terrible things that had happened of being guilty, saying God was punishing him. And this is where in Job chapter 12 to 14, Job responds to his friend. And it's in this response we have this quote. Turn to Job chapter 13. And that's Job, not Job, Right? Job chapter 13. And this is Job's response. And we do see a transition if, as you look at the book of Job where Job begins to almost demand that God tells him why this is going on. And that's where he starts to sin. He, 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 he rightfully wants to be vindicated. That's a right thing because he hasn't sinned. But he will begin to sin a little later and he will confess that as God massively shows him how he's wrong and God's good at that. Job chapter 13 verse 13 Be silent before me so that I may speak. Then let let come on then let come on what is that right then let come on what me what what may that's right. Why should I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hands though he slay me I will hope in him. Though he slay me I hope he's allowed this. God is ultimately the one that's allowed us. Job knew that and he wanted to know why, but God has ultimately allowed it. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. This also will be my salvation. That is what Paul quotes verbatim. This is what also will be my salvation for a godless man may not come before his presence listen carefully to my speech and let my declaration fill your ears behold now i have prepared my case i know that i will be vindicated now job understood that he had not sinned and that he would be vindicated he later as i said he does sin he does sin but here paul quotes this portion where job is being falsely accused and he knows he will be vindicated and job was vindicated by the way right God said later on, Job has spoken what is right. Your friends have not. Right? He was vindicated. He was vindicated. So then, I believe Paul is pointing to this idea of salvation or deliverance, most likely from like from Job, from false accusations. Indeed, what uh, might Paul have been accused of? Again, he's in prison. Those trying to cause him shame and sorrow and, and hurt him is in prison. You know, Paul... Paul sinned. That's why he's in prison. God is punishing him. Look at the ministry of Paul. It's going nowhere. He's in prison. Great Apostle Paul, right? You know, you you can see that, right? But as we know, the Apostle Paul says this, the gospel going out in my imprisonment, this, God working through this to make people bold to share Christ fearlessly, this shall turn out, I know, for my vindication. This shall turn out for my vindication. And notice, there's one other aspect of this deliverance I want you to see, which we'll just briefly touch on. I look at it in a moment. Uh, for I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Holy the provision of the Spirit of Jesus, and we're going to see Christ. We're going to see that in a minute. According to my earnest expectation, hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything. I'm not going to be ashamed. To live as Christ, to die as gain. I've been doing the right thing suffering for it, I will not be ashamed, right? I know it'll turn out for my vindication, my deliverance. I know that. And brothers and sisters, when you're following Jesus, you're doing the right thing and you are suffering for it, trust the Lord because he is working gloriously through those situations and he will vindicate. Remember Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper and every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Remember that. Remember that. Paul is confident this will turn out for his deliverance. And so, with that, notice in his confidence, he knows he will not be ashamed. But isn't that arrogant? I won't be ashamed. I'm confident I'll be delivered. Isn't that an arrogant statement? Isn't it arrogant to say, I know something absolutely for sure? Isn't that arrogant? Well, the answer comes from the fact that it's not, because his confidence is not in himself. His confidence is in the Lord. He knows that he will be delivered from dishonoring Christ through sin, being accused of sin, by the Philippians' prayer, as we're going to see, and through the provision of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 19 again. For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the holy spirit and the provision of the holy spirit this is an amazing statement amazing statement we have here paul knows uh, that the means in which god would accomplish this deliverance was by prayer and the spirit of god by prayer and the spirit of god he says, for I know that this shall turn up for my deliverance, first of all, through your prayers. The apostle Paul recognized God that, that he just doesn't go out and plod along in his own steam what, what God has gifted him to do. He knows it only happens in the context of prayer. And he says, I know it's going to happen through your prayers. And the word here is entreaties for your prayers for me. I know, Philippians, you are praying for me. And I know God is going to answer those prayers. And it's going to turn out for my deliverance. For my deliverance. And that deliverance, what we're going to see ultimately will be his bold proclamation. The implication is before Caesar. Bold proclamation. Paul is confident that God answers prayers according to his will. And brothers and sisters, this passage tells us what part prayer plays in regard to the suffering of fellow believers. When you've got other believers suffering around you, pray for them. Pray for them that that God would be magnified in their circumstances, that he would be exalted in their suffering, that he would be be boldly proclaimed as the Lord opens the door in the difficulties. So often we pray simply help so-and-so get through this. Well, yes, of course, but pray that God would be glorified in it be glorified in it so often we don't want to tell others about our trials so that they can pray what might others think well that's just pride and we all understand that we're all tempted right so we suffer alone rather than asking for prayer pray for me The situation is going on I pray that Christ would be magnified pray for me in this that I would be nothing and Christ would be exalted I'm tempted to think about myself pray for me pray for me and you know that brings joy the apostle paul was not shy of asking for prayer turn to ephesians chapter 6 again it's just pride when we don't ask for prayer now if someone takes it wrong who cares obey the lord and leave it in his hands right leave it in his hands of course you share it wisely with discernment ephesians chapter 6 verse 18 With all prayer and petition at all times, or excuse me, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all per- per- perseverance and petition for all the saints. Be on the alert, pray for the saints, right? And notice what he says, verse 19. And pray on my behalf. What? Now he's in chains. What does he ask for? That utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth that to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, then in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Pray for me. The context is, I'm going before Caesar. I'm going before Rome. Pray that I will speak boldly Christ. Now, he's not saying that if you got pulled over for a traffic ticket and it wasn't your fault, pray that I could speak boldly for Christ in the, in the courtroom. No, he's talking about the context of defending christ that's why he's in jail that's why he's in jail but within that when the difficulties we have we do pray for open doors lord pray for an open door that we may share you pray for an open door turn to romans chapter 15 we see how the answer to prayer will cause joy will cause joy romans 15 verse 30 And I'm convinced we don't pray for each other enough in our prayers. We don't share enough the difficulties. I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced of that. Romans 15, verse 30. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the saints to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. That's pretty blunt, isn't it? Strive together with me in your prayers for me, Right? Strive. That that speaks of effort. Give effort in praying for me. I need it. Paul understood he couldn't do a thing apart from God acting and answering prayer. Strive in your prayers for me. And then notice what he says. He says here, that I may be delivered from those who are disobedient in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may prove to be acceptable to the saints so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and and find refreshing rest in your company. Pray. Pray. Folks, if you really know the Lord, then you know you need him for everything. The Apostle Paul didn't say, hey, I, I got the gifting, I'm good to go. Pray for me. Pray for me to be delivered. Pray for me to speak as I ought to speak. Folks, we can't do anything. Although the Lord's gifted me to preach, I can't do it. I know that so clearly. There are some of you who know that I ask every Sunday, pray for me. For me. Every Sunday. The reality is I can't do it. But God is faithful to enable us by His Spirit, as we'll see, to do what He calls us to do in answer to prayer. In answer to prayer. You see the fervent, effective, effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. James chapter 5, 16. And the Apostle Paul was confident that through the prayers of these Philippians, and then notice what he says, something else. He says, For I know this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He says the spirit of Jesus Christ. We see the spirit of Christ also in Romans. That's the Holy Spirit. But it's more personal, the spirit of Jesus Christ. And notice what he prays. He prays that through their prayers, or that he shares that, he knows that through their prayers, there's going to be provision. The provision of what? The spirit of Jesus Christ. This word provision is an interesting word, Epicorageo. If you've heard that word choreography or chorus, the word came from the word chorus where in ancient Greek times there would be choruses that would travel or drama troops travel from town to town and they would only perform if someone would provide all the money for their performance. Well, that sounds familiar right now, right? (laughs) And the person who did provide it was seen as the guy who choreoed. He provided the whole thing. And now this is an intensive word of epi This speaks of intense, full provision. Full provision. For I know that this shall turn up for my deliverance through your prayers and this full provision of what? Of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Folks, it is by the Spirit of God that we function, that we do what God wants us to do. And here it's in the context of answered prayer. Answered prayer. We know, in like from uh, Zechariah chapter, chapter 4, not by might nor by power, but by thy spirit, right? It's by his spirit that we do it. We sang this earlier, apart from him, we can do nothing. Within ourselves, we are totally inadequate, and we have to realize that, but that doesn't stop. Then we trust God, knowing through prayer and his provision, he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Remember those in Acts chapter 1, what Jesus said to those? He wanted them to wait, by the way, to wait for the Spirit of God, because you need the Spirit of God, and he wanted them to pray, right? And you notice what he said before. He said in Acts 1, eight, But you shall receive power when the Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my what? Testifiers. It's the Spirit of God that gives us power to testify of Jesus. John chapter 14, we see very clearly... In John 14, Jesus says, "On the night He was betrayed, the things I have spoken to you to His apostles, while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who is from the Father, will, who the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I said." The Spirit of God teaches us the Word of God and brings us remembrance of the Word of God when we need to remember it. John chapter 15 it talks about. The spirit that proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me, and you will bear witness also, Jesus says. Remember, Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul knew he would be delivered for sure because of their prayers and God answering those according to his will and the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Oh, brother and sister, how often we do not pray, how often we do not seek Him to move according to His will, how often we are not confident that when we do pray according to His will, He will enable us by His Spirit to do what He has called us to do. Some of you know me, every once in a while I start listening to music, and I start listening to the same music all over the time, over and over again you hear the same songs, right? And then a few months later, over and over again, the next same song, right? There's this one song, and it talks about the simply marvelous supernatural Awesome power of prayer it 's a great song, the reality of god 's answer to prayer tremendous it 's the spirit of God in the context of prayer that gives us the ability to share the life changing truths of Jesus Christ, and He does that in the bed or the the, 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 the fertile soil of difficulty, difficulty, the very circumstances of our suffering are used to advance the word if we're seeing things rightly and praying and trusting the Lord. Paul was thus eager and also hoping that Christ would be magnified. Look at uh, verse 20. He says his deliverance is going to turn out, and this is going to be according to, through the prayers and the spirit, the spirit of God, provision, that ample provision, according, verse 20, to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything but contrast with that, but with all, that with all boldness, Christ shall even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Paul knew that his circumstances would turn out for his deliverance according to their prayers and the Spirit of God, and then here, according to the earnest expectation and hope that he will not be put to shame in anything. Ultimately, that he would be obedient to the Lord, that he would not be shamed, as we will see. He would not be shamed for shrinking back. He would not be shamed for sinning, but that he would actually speak the Word of God. This term, earnest expectation, is made of three Greek Greek words, away, head, and to watch. It speaks of someone who is outstretched, turning away attention from everything to one thing. My earnest expectation, and this is in his trial, is he's going to, instead of being ashamed, he's going to boldly proclaim Christ because people are praying for him and God's Spirit is going to enable him to do it. That's confidence in Christ. And it's not presumption It's not presumption, because he knows he has been appointed for the defense of the gospel. He knows that. Earnest expectation, and also he says, hope. This is real hope, hope that is genuine hope like we see in Romans. Hope in things that truly will come about because God has promised it. Paul will not be put to shame. The turn speaks of being disgraced among defeat. He's not going to be put to shame. Brothers and sisters, when we suffer, when we're accused, when we're wrongly shamed by others, we need to prayerfully trust Jesus Christ with genuine hope that ultimately we will not be put to shame in anything when we trust him, right? We trust him. And notice the contrast. But, middle of verse 20, but that with boldness. Instead of being ashamed, shrinking back, boldness. But with boldness, Christ shall even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, but that with all boldness. Now, first of all, I want you to see this word exalted, be exalted in my body. He's talking about what I do. He's not talking about, you know, shirts that say Jesus is is Lord. He's, He's talking about what he does in his flesh, that Christ will be exalted. And the context is speaking, as we'll see, with all boldness. He says that Christ will be exalted. Now, some of your versions may not have exalted. I think a better translation is magnified. Magnified. The term is, in Greek, megaluno. Sounds great, doesn't it? Magnified. Uh, the term uh, megaleos means magnificent. Right? It means to make large. To make large. To declare great. That with all boldness, Christ even, shall even now, as always, be magnified in my body, whether by life or death, in what I do in the flesh. And this term boldness is very interesting because it helps us understand what he's talking about exactly because he says, with all boldness means literally speaking all things. It speaks of the idea of freedom of speech and courage, that I would speak fearlessly, with all boldness, instead of being put to shame, that Christ will be magnified in my body as I speak boldly of Jesus. You see, Paul was about proclaiming Christ. Philippians 1.18 earlier, What then? Only in in every way, whether pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Colossians 1.28 And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. Right? Folks, there are far too many believers trying to manipulate people into the kingdom rather than relying on answered prayer and the power of the Spirit to speak of Jesus boldly. For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus according to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything but that with all boldness Christ shall even now and always be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. Brother and sister, when Christ is exalted he is shown to be who he is. When he is He is shown to be rightfully in his glorious magnificence. You see, we have a magnificent God who took on human flesh, who bore our sins instead of us having to pay the penalty. He died for us and he went to the grave and rose from the dead. We have a magnificent God. And Paul wants it rather by life or by death that he is exalted. He understood that when he abided in Christ, empowered by the Spirit, in accordance with answered prayer, the result would be Christ being magnified. Magnified. Brother and sister, right now, the world thinks little of Christ. He is irrelevant, and his glorious work on the cross to bring forgiveness is irrelevant to them. He is not magnified in their view. But as we've seen, God uses our suffering, and more specifically, answers to spirit, prayers by, and, and empowerment by his spirit to boldly proclaim him that he would be magnified. Maybe that's why you're going through what you're going through so that people will see there's something different in your life and Christ will be magnified. Magnified. We are the only people who have true hope no matter what we go through. Yet when we sin in response to our trials, having a pity party, getting angry, when we don't see them through what God has declared and for why he has allowed, Christ is not magnified. And we are, in a sense, worthy of shame in that moment. But we can confess that and be forgiven immediately and set to have Christ magnified. Pray for me in this circumstance that Christ would be magnified. 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 Indeed, here in our passage, instead of being put to shame because of answered prayer, Paul fully expects to be empowered by the Spirit to boldly proclaim Christ, whether he lives or dies, whether he lives or dies. Let me ask you this. Is it your desire to magnify Christ, to make him large, to exalt him through your life and maybe your words when God opens the door? Look at what Jesus has done for me. They don't think it's great. They think it's nothing. Tell him how wonderful it is. Think about the trial you're going through. Is your desire for Christ to be magnified? That's God's plan. Submit to him in those trials. Allow Christ to be magnified, and you will experience true joy. You won't experience it when you're magnified, but when he's magnified, you'll experience true joy because it is wonderful to see Christ exalted. And Paul knew that. Even if it was by life or death. For death. death. So how can we remain joyful in the midst of suffering when we recognize God uses these trials for a platform for the gospel, he uses them to magnify Christ? We can rejoice, and in that we rejoice. Now what's the ultimate reason Paul could have such confidence? Well, we're going to see for him to be living is Christ and to die is gain. Look, he explains in verse 21, and and just a heads up, we're just going to touch this right now, There's not not enough time to go through this. We're going to go through this next time, but we're just going to touch this. He says, For to me, verse 21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For, he's explaining, right, how whether by life or death Christ is going to be exalted, right? Christ will be exalted whether I live or die through the broad proclamation because of this reason. This reason. And notice this is the better translation. This is a little translation. I like this better. For to me, to be living, Christ. To die, gain. For to me, to be living, present tense, Christ. To die, point in time, gain. Right? That's Paul's perspective. This is what is going on inside of the head of Paul. He wants Christ to be magnified whether he lives or die. Because or why? For to me, to be living is Christ dies gain now to understand what it means to live uh be living christ we need to look at some of the alternatives for some to be living is obtaining wealth for some to be living it is getting out of debt for some to be living it is seeking pleasure for some it is sports for some it is fame or recognition. For some to live is to work. For some to live is power. For some to live is church. For some to live is ministry. For some to live is family. For some to live is friends. For some to live is fellowship. And I posit to you, if this is the case for any of you, you have some idols to deal with. Little children, guard yourself from idols. Guard yourself from idols. That's why so many believers really experience true joy because they live for other things now folks it doesn't mean we don't love church fellowship friends it doesn't mean we don't work or relax at times it just means in all we do christ is the center of my thinking he's what i think about in these things to live is about jesus it's about jesus i think about him in the midst of everything i talk with him i walk with him you walked walk with god and god took him As I go through each thing, I'm thinking of Christ. I'm thinking of him. I want him magnified. To be living, for the believer, is Christ. He is our life, and our life is hidden in him, Colossians 3. And within that, if you want the Lord to be magnified, lifted up, his name blessed and glorified, praised, then you're going to rejoice because that's his will, that Christ is magnified, that Christ is glorified in my life and in your lives. So what if we're not this way? And all of us are not this way at times, right? But some are consistently, habitually not this way. Some of us have been hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Confess your idolatry. It's idolatry. If something else is your life, it's idolatry. Guard yourself from it. Guard yourself from idols. We're tempted. Turn to the Word and get a better view of Jesus and His will for you. Depend on Him and seek to magnify Him in all you do. Walk with the Lord. Walk with the Lord. Seek to magnify Him and you'll experience true joy. It's branch experience true joy. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for this encouragement. I thank You so much for Your Word. It It is wonderful. I thank You so much for Your Son in whom it magnifies. Father, we do recognize that we fail so often. And Lord, certainly there are those who have allowed other things to be exalted, self or whatever it might be. It's what living is. I pray that those would simply confess. And when we fall into that, that we would confess that we would consider you as more important than ourselves, that we would love you. Lord, I pray that you'd be magnified in our hearts first, that uh, sin would be confessed, and that Christ would be exalted in us, in our hearts and minds, and then that we would be ready for the difficulties you allow to come upon us, that we would see them the way your servant Paul did, that we would understand that through prayer, And the provision of your spirit, you will enable us to do and say what you want us to say in the midst of those difficult circumstances that Christ would be magnified. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus.